Chapter 14. Tie Me to the Mast. Commences with a quote by Selwyn Hughes. I have watched hundreds of Christians in my time become financially blessed, then develop an acquisitive streak that in turn makes their souls as metallic as the coins they seek. Being a recipient of God's blessings usually changes a person's personality and their own self-perception. Sometimes this is for the better, sometimes for the worse. The bubbly, outgoing child who learns that they have a beautiful singing voice can become an ugly toad to be around as they start to build their self-image around the apparent superiority of their blessing over others who can't sing so well. The boy who reaches youth only to be told that he is really good-looking by adults and peers will often leave those same friends behind as he goes off to pursue acquaintances he feels are more worthy of his handsome presence. The generous, humorous inventor can turn into a bragging pain in the neck if his inventions make millions and he's infected with pride. I know there have been times in my life where I've caught myself acting superior, patronising, judgmental and downright stuck up. It's always been when I've forgotten, often on purpose, to acknowledge the source and giver of all my blessings. For those of you who have known me over the years, I ask your forgiveness. And if I'm still that way, please tell me. The late British pastor and author Selwyn Hughes commented on this all-too-common downward spiral of the blessed. He said, I have watched hundreds of Christians in my time become financially blessed, then develop an acquisitive streak that in turn makes their souls as metallic as the coins they seek. What does acquisitive mean? In this context, it's describing the often-seen result of wanting to get more and more stuff, bigger and better than we really need, when we find ourselves financially blessed by God. It is a trap that very, very few people have the strength to fight, and one which none of us can get out of without God's help. I know from experience that I don't have the self-control to fight this dragon on my own. Author Daniel Axt has written a weighty tome focusing on self-control in an age of excess, in which he reminds us of a very topical tale from the great Greek poet Homer. The sirens of Greek mythology were deceitful and enthralling femmes fatales, who lured passing sailors onto the rocks with their beautiful music and songs. It was impossible for sailors to resist their calling. All who drew near to them were shipwrecked and drowned. Axt writes, Wily Odysseus, on his way home by ship from the protracted nightmare of the Trojan War, orders his men to tie him to the mast and to stop up their ears so he can hear the seductively lethal song of the sirens without quite literally going overboard. Thus did our hero inoculate himself against his own predictable and potentially fatal desires, and thereby demonstrates his wiliness for a person with less self-awareness might have trusted willpower alone. On hearing the siren's call, Odysseus pleaded for his men to untie him, but they just bound him tighter, possibly because they couldn't hear what he was asking due to the beeswax he had told them to put in their ears. Once beyond earshot, he showed by his downcast countenance that the music had faded, and they could now free him from the mast. Odysseus's curiosity could have got him killed, but his cunning allowed him to taste of the treasure without being drowned, though he was probably pretty hard to live with 
as he would have continuously bragged that he was the only sailor to have ever heard the sirens and lived. What about us? Can we beat the siren song of materialism, the love of money, or earthly praise, with cunning? Is there something to which we can tie ourselves to avoid being drowned in the sea of consumerism? There just may be. Early in our marriage, when Melinda and I realised that our income was quickly going to exceed our needs, her brother and sister-in-law gave us a unique idea. If we were worried, and we were, that we would simply keep increasing our needs according to our income, and thereby waste a pile of money that could have been used for mission work or humanitarian purposes, then why not put a cap on our expenses? If we are surviving quite well on $75,000 a year as a married couple, and think that it might need to increase to $100,000 when we have two kids, why not cap it at that? Simply draw up a chart that shows $100,000 increasing annually according to the Consumer Pricing Index, the CPI, and vow to never spend more than that amount on ourselves, even if our income reaches 10 times that or more. We would simply be tying ourselves to the mast of a fixed level of spending. If a modest home is enough for our young family, why not vow to never buy or build anything bigger, and again, pass on the savings to others in need? And if we are very happy to spend our vacations in a tent or caravan by the beach each year, then vow to keep it that way and ignore the desire to take more expensive breaks in luxury hotels and exotic locations. It sounds like an ideal solution, a perfect way of securing ourselves. But I just don't have that sort of willpower. To be bound by such a promise would be no better than tying me to the mast with ropes of jelly. I could bind myself with all sorts of agreements with friends and family, asking them to keep me accountable, and saying that I will never break the oaths. But then, in a few years, I would either find ways of cheating the system or come up with countless excuses for why I really needed to spend more than the allocated amount. That's only me, though. If you think you could live within it, then go for it. John Wesley started out on a humble wage, and he capped his spending at that level, even though he later had a significant income from sales of his books. It is possible. The idea is excellent. To try to fault it or give reasons for why it's not appropriate or even possible can only be done by pandering to our heart's desires for comfort and luxury and ignoring the cries of those who are truly in need. As Ron Sider's book outlined many years ago, we really are rich Christians in an age of hunger. So how can we justify our excessive spending, our nice homes and our fancy trips in light of the real needs that are so very visible? Melinda and I didn't concretely cap our spending, maintain our modest home size, or spend all of our vacations under canvas. But it's a noble idea, and one which has certainly guided our decisions about what our real needs are and how much we should spend on acquisitions like homes, cars and travel. As much as I don't like to admit it, our increasing income did also change my personality. I wasn't able to become an Odysseus-like braggart as I didn't actually conquer the spending sirens in my life. But sometimes I did catch myself saying or doing, but most often secretly thinking, things that surprised me. Thoughts, words and actions that opened a window to a sadly selfish and proud part of my soul. I needed to study, better understand and more regularly put into practice 
Paul's words to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19, he wrote, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It would be easy to focus just on the last part of verse 17, which says, God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, and use it as a proof text that everything that God gives us is to be used for our personal enjoyment. But that's not being fair to the text. God certainly does want us to enjoy the blessings he gives us, but not in the selfish, me-centred way that our culture encourages. We are to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This will bring about the true enjoyment that God has blessed us with. According to the Bible, there is really only one proper response to being significantly blessed. And we find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 and 11. God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Increased blessings should not just make us richer or more talented or more respected. They should make us more generous. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, we read, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. If someone saw your annual income and your net worth written on one piece of paper and your annual giving on another, would they think that the two go together? Is God's generosity to you mirrored in your generosity to him? Or have you allowed God's generosity to change your heart for the worse? Have you allowed the blessings to become curses? Like Odysseus, we're on our way home. But temptation still calls to us from every side. It always will. We can't avoid being lured by the sirens. But are your ropes tight enough? 